Dead, a podcast about a story of survival. Hello and welcome to We're Not Dead, the official community podcast of We're Alive. Uh, This is episode 51, and it's been a really long time since we've been on because I've been without power. Sandy, you're a bitch. That is all I have to say about that. You ruined my city. You ruined the East Coast. Fuck you. And and Athena and your your bullshit nor'easterness. First of all, who names a nor'easter? That's stupid. You suck too because you knocked out more power to more people in Long Island than New York. And you suck. Suck. Just suck. I hate all of you. Anyway, uh, Britt is not here this week. Uh, so I am joined by the incomparable, the amazing. I've spoken to him Every single podcast, Cabbage Patch. Hey. Hey. And I'm also joined by the winner of the We're Alive journal competition, Deacon Tyler. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. Um, so, yeah. Um, last time I spoke to you, I was supposed to also have an interview with um, Constance, uh, the, the woman that plays CJ. Uh, that fell through, obviously. Um so that didn't happen. And that was before the hurricane, so I can't even blame it on that. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's still going to happen. It's just not going to happen maybe in the next couple of weeks because the next couple of weeks is kind of crazy. But um, we will get to that. So I apologize again for that. I apologize for not being uh, on last week, I suppose. Um, but, I again, I didn't have power. I didn't have power for six and a half days. Uh, and there are people that are still without power now, and this is Thursday, so it's been like 10 days for them, and that sucks. So, uh, yeah, if you have friends on the East Coast, I hope they're okay. If you were listening and you were on the East Coast, I hope you survived the storm, uh, because this has been just friggin' abominable. It's It sucks so hard. It's so terrible. I, like... Lower Manhattan doesn't exist to me right now because I can't get there, or like I couldn't get there for a week. It's so stupid. It's like the the, the island of Manhattan does not begin at Thirty Fourth Street. There's other stuff down there, and there are people down there. Whatever. I'm ranting. So Cabbage Patch and Deacon. Yes. Uh, well, first of all, do you want me to call you Cabbage Patch, or do you want to go by a different name? Cabbage Patch is fine. I mean, okay. That's, that that works. Uh, a few extra syllables for that. I respond to it well. Okay, well, we'll stick with the cabbage patch then. Uh, and Deacon, I'm just going to And I'm okay you... if you call me Deacon. Perfect. Uh, these are things we should have taken care of off the air, but hey, what are you going to do? Um, so when did you guys start listening to We're Alive? We'll start with cabbage patch. Okay, yeah, I started listening summer of 2011. I, uh, I heard about it um, on another podcast, the one uh, a Walking Dead podcast called uh, the, the Walking Dead Cast. Okay. And uh, they did they they did a review of We're Alive, and then next episode they did an interview with Casey, and I was hooked. I started listening, and I uh, haven't stopped there. Oh, it was the Walking Dead cast. That's the one that um, I, I feel like I heard that, or Casey posted it because I, I I don't listen to the Walking Dead cast, and I apologize, but if you want to listen to the Walking Dead cast, I I have heard great things about them. Um, but I I think I listened to that, and it was really. 
It was actually a very glowing review. I, re- I thought they very much were into it. I know they made fun of the acting. In the fr- I'm pretty sure they made fun of the acting for the first chapter because it was kind of... But, uh, Deacon, how did you come to We're Alive? Yeah, I actually um, I heard about uh, We're Alive just a couple of months ago. I was um, looking for something good in zombie. I was actually downloading a couple of uh, zombie, zombie audio books off of uh, iTunes. Um, I got um, the World War Z, uh, mm-hmm. the other one that he wrote uh you know the handbook whatever and um you know kind of needed something a little bit more so you know i just typed in zombie in there and then it came up and it's a podcast and i'm like holy shit man i just spent like 70 bucks on zombie books and here's like this free podcast (laughs) so i downloaded and you know i'm a photographer so i'm always editing photos and um so then i'm editing my photos listening to the first chapter i'm thinking yeah okay well this might be just a little bit cheesy and then it stopped being cheesy and like i would actually stop editing photos and just like listen to this and it was just i was completely mesmerized by the first by the end of the first season yeah i I did the same thing and i've said it a few times where i didn't really like the story until it was like oh just keep listening i kind of want to know what happens but i'm not really into it i can stop whenever i want kind of like a drug and then i got to chapter four i was like no hooked yeah hooks for hooks for life yeah definitely by chapter four definitely like as soon as they go out for again they go out to eastern bay that's when i was hooked that's when i wanted to know what happened um, so who is your favorite Scratch. character? Scratch. Ah. Ah. You jumped on that way too quick. I was, oh. gonna, I was going to actually disinvite Deacon because he came up and said, I'm a big fan of Scratch. <laughs> like, man, we just had one of you on. I don't know. I want to have uh, another Scratch lower that, on. That's wifey right there. That's that's wifey right there. I actually call my wife Scratch now when she gets angry. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's a little hot. Wow. Okay. That was not exactly how I thought that was going to go. Uh, does your wife listen to it as well? Does she understand the reference, or does she just not understand why you start calling her Scratch? She has absolutely no idea, and I actually tried to get her to listen to Scratch's voice <laughs> uh-huh. um, this morning just, just to hear how buttery, smooth, and angry it is at the same time. It's like it's such a juxtaposition because on the one hand, you have this velvety, smooth, sexy, hot voice, and then on the other hand, she's a complete bitch, and I'm like... I was listening to this this morning. I'm like, that's my wife. <laughs> um, okay. Wow. Uh, well, it, it, that explains your scratch love then, if she reminds you of your wife. Um, Cabbage Patch, who's your favorite character? You know, I'm going to be a little wishy-washy here. I, I don't really think of them in terms of favorites or least favorites. I've, I've enjoyed all of them. Okay. Um, there's no one specifically that like comes to mind and you go, oh, you know what? I love scenes with so-and-so or i love the way that so-and-so delivers like one-liners so if you had to give someone a one-liner that's going to be awesome who do you want to hear say it well i'll tell you the if i had to pick one person out i would probably pick victor not so much even because of how awesome he is in the show mm-hmm. as uh, i've just enjoyed interacting with him on the forum absolutely uh again we we've talked auto on the podcast we've mentioned how much he loves being on the forum he was just on there a bunch uh for this past chapter uh, chapter part. Uh, Otto's awesome. Okay. So if we like Scratch, then Deacon. Yes. We, who we, do we, we hate? It, it, it goes beyond like. It's um, Okay. Yeah. If, if we have an undesirable, uh, undesirable, uh, un, just unquenchable lust for Scratch, who do we hate? Who is your least favorite character? Datu. And, and I'm so sorry. It's, um, okay. I, I love the character and oh I hate God. him at the same time. It's um and and you're, I love you're, and hate him for the same reason. It's um it's it's the sort of stilted, you know, why did these 
kind of like this, where it's obvious that he's reading from a script, and it's like you want to hate him as an actor for that, but at the same time, it really, really makes the character endearing. Now, it's, uh, first of all, you're so disinvited from this podcast for Scratch Love and for <laughs> Datu, King Datu the Resourceful Hatred. You're done. I'm cutting you out of this conversation. <laughs> you suck. Now, the this the stilted, I, I understand what you're saying. It's... It's something that, especially if you listen to people from a foreign country attempting to speak English when it's not their first language, you you understand that that's them struggling to under, to, to find the right words. And I I feel like he started off that way. He's gotten they, he's gotten away from that a lot lately. I don't yeah. feel like he does that stilted, jilty, whatever. He's sort of in, he's sort of manifesting his English as a second language a little bit differently. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a Casey thing or if that's a Jay thing or if that's a collectively they agreed on thing or whatever the case may be. Okay, wait. There's one thing about Datu that really, really bugged me. Okay. How the hell did he fix that helicopter? Okay, so like the military's <laughs> mechanics that are trained on fixing helicopters couldn't fix his helicopter. But Datu, with no tools, no equipment, how can he be like MacGyver? Okay, it was leaking hydraulic fluid. How did he replace the hydraulic fluid? Did he like... Did he pee in it? I mean, how does that work exactly? And what did he use to patch it up? That is the one thing that really, really bothers me about Datu. A magician never reveals his secrets. Plus, <laughs> you can do just about anything with duct tape. Right. Duct tape, some gum, a paper clip, and um, a dryer sheet. And that is all you need to fix a helicopter. Don't you know that? Dude, I, I don't even I want to know what he used for lubrication to uh, to replace the hydraulic fluid. I mean, that's no. just that's just nasty. You know what? Actually, there is somebody that I, that I hate more than Datu, and that's Bert. And I hate Bert because he is a panty dropping pimp. And if he were to go into a room, I would lose my wife. Everybody would lose their girlfriends or boyfriends or or whatever to Bert because he's such a pimp. <laughs> uh yeah, it's true. Um. I was I was a little bit afraid of having my wife listen for a while. Yes, yeah. of Bert, um, Cabbage Patch. Uh, you don't necessarily have a favorite. You necessarily have a least favorite character. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd say least favorite is Colonel Kimmet. Ooh, he okay. just reminds me too much of people I actually know. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair enough. Um, and again, uh, it, Cabbage Patch is the person we keep bringing up over and over again for amazing posts on the forum. Um, that I had asked, I had asked the question sort of to the ether probably like two or three episodes ago, asking whether or not he was still active. I just find out he is not active. He hasn't been active for a while, but still, definitely was in the military, so definitely has an understanding of what's going on in terms of uh, the military strategies being executed or not executed, as it were, uh, on the show. Like, you know, don't bring someone to a not-forward operating base and send them to Boulder and have them kill everyone in the city. Fucking Kimmet. Bastard. Um, and then finally... Uh, do you guys have a favorite chapter? Ooh, a favorite chapter. Man, I'm get, I've got to say it's this chapter. And, you know, it sounds like kind of a cop-out answer. But, I mean, this ep- this chapter has had a little bit of everything. It's had some ass-kicking. It's had some dying. It's had some zombies. And it has Scratch. I mean, it has oh. her saying, like, the sexiest line I've ever heard in my life. The whole, you lose, I win. I mean, it's just, yeah. You didn't like, you better start running better? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, you know the it it because it, it kind of all ties into you know you better start running and you know you lose yeah it's 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 you know it made me moist. Wow, this is becoming one of the most socially awkward podcasts I've ever been a part of. Hey, um, and you know what? I'm glad to be a part of it. <laughs> I I'm glad you're here because it is exciting and you're keeping me on my toes on a day that I am sick 
and I have an iPhone waiting for me upstairs that just arrived in the mail. Um, Cabbage Patch, uh, do you have a favorite chapter? You know, Wishy Washy again. It's uh, each one. Uh, you know, as you start getting into it, it's just like so. They're so absorbing. If, if I had to look back, I'd say I kind of en- enjoyed aspects of last chapter, chapter thirty-four, more than most, just because it reminded me of you know of. Uh, of a lot of the of what I did in the army. Cool. All right. So that's that. We've met you. We've talked a little bit. We've talked about how Deacon gets moist off of scratch. And now I think we have every right to go into both parts one and two of chapter thirty-five. Uh, the end is near. Let's do it. Uh, as per always, interrupt me if you have something you want to call out. Um, these uh, because there's so much that happens. I have done a little more of a hack and slash job of this, especially in thirty-five-one, because there's a be- the beginning part of it is really just to illustrate a lot of what CJ is capable of in terms of planning, so I'm going to skip over a bunch. Um, 35.1, we pick up where Lizzie is calling for Saul on the radio. Um, the ID where Victor and Lizzie are and Saul gets cranky because she is still so very far away. CJ starts taking notes on positions in the colony. They are soon joined by Bixby and others, and they have a huge strategy planning session about how to get around a guy in the tower who is picking off people, how they need to get to the communications room, which should they go to the armory first. The plan ends up being CJ and some girl who mysteriously happens to be wearing a red shirt will go to the hospital to rescue Bert. Saul, Bixby, and the others will secure the comm room and take out the Mullers along the way. Colonists are to tie red armbands around their arms for ID purposes so they don't shoot the wrong people. And again, a lot more happened in that little section. Um... Okay, again, so now here's my question. The girl sure. was wearing a red shirt, and then they were all wearing red armbands. So did she have to give up that shirt in order to make the armbands? And if so, I don't think anybody would have shot her because, I mean, that's a little hot right there. You've got a hot, sweaty, funky, shirtless woman that hasn't showered in like a year. Does it get any better? And if it does, please tell me. Well, it gets better when you understand. Do you understand the red shirt reference? Yes, Star Trek. Okay, just making sure, because if you didn't understand that, then we were going to have an explanation session. Um, in terms of the other stuff, uh, yeah, if she was showered, I might be a little more into it. Uh, Saul tells CJ not to do anything and to wait for him at the hospital. CJ, remember, awesome planner, shitty executor, ignores him and runs into Scratchy Pants. Scratch kills the girl in the red shirt. Aww. CJ, and Scra- CJ has Scratch pinned down and has the higher ground, but Scratch has a line to the door where any help might arrive. Bert continually busts in, and he's told repeatedly to shut up. They hear someone approaching. Uh, Scratch and CJ have taken all their pot shots at each other at this point. CJ thinks it over way, 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 way too much. And in the meantime, Scratch shoots Saul. CJ and Scratch empty their guns at each other in a rage and proceed to engage in the most awesome katana versus knife fight you have ever heard in your life. Uh, Which also includes, you know, the classic penis joke. It's not how... You, it's how you use it. <laughs> so, so it, using that as as a base point, you're saying that CJ has a larger penis than Scratch. That I'm saying that's that interesting if, because I would have thought that it would be the opposite. Like Scratch would have a machete and two grenades. You know? Oh yeah, but she has the weapons that she has, and it just so happens that CJ's got a bigger one. And if if I were to say, I, I mean, no, I'm not getting into penis jokes. Um, now, what happened in the fight is up to debate. The way that I heard it, because I hear a, a knife clinking away, which, again, I don't know that Scratch took her knife back out of, um, 
rasterized chest, so she may only have the one still. Either way, at some point, CJ wins the fight and disarms Scratch is the way that I interpreted it. But then Saul moans and distracts CJ. Scratch takes advantage and stabs CJ, claiming, you lose. I win. Yes. Which is how part one ends. Part two picks up right where uh, Scratch was stabbing CJ, and we find out it's in the leg. Scratch is searching for a major artery and stabs her a couple times to get it. Saul is still hurting from the gunshot, so he can't do too much. Scratch says Bert's not worth it, and she escapes. CJ's in bad shape and is severely bleeding. Bert's trying to get uh, info, and Saul tells him to shut up. Saul applies a tourniquet to CJ, and she, mm, excuse me, she apologizes for not waiting. CJ asks, is Lizzie okay? And Saul says he doesn't know because he didn't see her yet. CJ seems pleased through the pain that she was a priority over Lizzie. Victor arrives. CJ shows Victor how to disarm the alarm on the door, where Bert is. Victor opens the door to find an emaciated Bert, who is scratched and missing his finger. It smells bad. And he smells terrible. But you know what? He could probably still steal my wife away from me. You know, I mean, he's just that much of well, a man. Well, the entire power is in the voice. It doesn't matter if he smells and he yep. looks like, you know, a skeleton. He looks like Skeletor. Yeah. Actually, that might even help more if he looks like Skeletor. It, it just might. He has the power. Victor is afraid that he might break Bert if he picks him up. Victor updates them saying they are winning right now. Uh, Bert wants a gun and Victor gives it to him. Bert vows revenge and for uh, on Scratch for Shirley, saying that he will pull the trigger with his dick if he has to. They go upstairs after leaving the dead girl, which maybe it was just me, but the way that Saul said it sounded so heartless. Just leave her. I don't. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, the Saul's delivery of the line to me just sounded more heartless than I think it was intended to be. Or maybe, I don't know, did you guys catch that or no? And see... Yeah, there, there's definitely a tone there. Yeah. The, okay, there's there's a tone, but you know what? Saul's got a little bit of everything. I mean, he's got his woman back. He's got, it, you know, that that that's that's his baby mama right there, you know? So he's got his woman back. You know, he's got Bert. You know, he's got a gun. He's got CJ bleeding out on the floor. You know what? F the chick lion the f the other chick f the red shirt you know she can just yeah. go ahead and die or you know well yeah you know i definitely get i mean i get the point of saying leave her that's no problem i maybe it's just i was expecting maybe a little more reverence to the dead of some a dead person that was trying to help them win than just that cold shoulder leave her i don't know maybe like not maybe like leave her we'll get her later or you know no we have to leave her no leave her I think he was was just telling it like it is. I mean, he's got, um, you got zombies, um, well, no, that's right, the zombies hadn't come around yet, but you know, you got like a whole battle going on, and it's like, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a couple of injured people already, and then you've got this chick that you don't even know, it's like, leave her, you know, I mean, what was she doing there in the first place, you know? Well, she was in theory supposed to help, but CJ got her killed. Yeah. Again. Well, and also, she was pretty obviously dead at this point, I mean, everybody commented on the fact that she was, a, yeah. that she was dead. Yeah. So, uh, Again, something about it struck me as weird. It, it struck a weird note with me, and it didn't seem within Saul to say it that way. Anyway, uh, Bert reveals to Saul that Angel was on the roof of the tower when it collapsed. He also finally describes how he survived la- by landing in a tree before hitting the ground and breaking his leg. He then tells the story of how he tried to defend himself, only have Scratch knock him the fuck out. Uh, the Maulers fixed his leg before torturing him. Saul says uh, he has some stories to tell him, but he'll tell him later. 
They catch up to Victor and CJ, who is in a lot of pain and screaming again. Saul gives her morphine, and CJ hits Cloud9 and becomes comic relief soon after. Uh, Saul tells Victor to go get Lizzie. Victor starts to bring up Angel and his fate, but leaves, because he knows, because Lizzie told him. Bert keeps trying to f- trying to overextend himself, and Saul threatens to stick him with the needle. Uh, Saul gives Bert some food and an IV. Bert is thankful to CJ for saving him from scratch, because she was coming to finish him off. Saul and Bert have some bromantic exchanges with each other about um, the whole Lizzie thing and blah, blah, blah. Bert says he held on so long... The reason he held on so long was so that he could outlast her and end her. Uh, Saul is nervous about seeing Lizzie. Bert attempts to justify the tower banning, saying uh, that if he hadn't banned her, then she wouldn't be here and he wouldn't be here now, and that it's really kind of okay that he did it. And Saul forgives him and says that they're even. Saul's worried that things might be different between them. CJ says, uh huh. And Lizzie arrives. They hug, they kiss. Lizzie uh, further hurts Saul's ribs from the gunshot wound. Lovey doveyness ensues. Victor cuts in with good news and bad news. Bixby and Gatekeeper secured the armory and killed a bunch of Maulers. And they lost a whole lot of their own guys. Though uh, Gatekeeper was shot in the back and killed, and Bixby got a knife to the throat near the spot where the Maulers escaped, meaning Scratch is on the loose. CJ starts asking about who's in charge. Bert starts to go after Scratch, but Saul threatens him with sedatives. Again. CJ kicks into high leader mode and takes the radio and begins to bark out orders on the radio to the colonists so that they have a leader, as this is a very critical moment in their lives together. They don't have a doctor in the colony anymore. Saul cannot fix CJ's leg. He's con- he convinces Lizzie to let go so that she- he can take care of everyone else, and they do. They call Glenn and tells him- tell him to come to the colony. Glenn will only come if it is safe, which is going to become a repeating theme in the next five minutes. He says he and Pete will come now. Victor wonders if Tanya would be able to help. Saul isn't sure. CJ's leg is already dying, and CJ cuts in and tells Victor to help with all the wounded incoming. About 24 hours later, and 20 hours past the point of no return for CJ and her leg, survival, Saul arrives as she is screaming in pain and puts her under. Saul is left with the unenviable task now of amputating CJ's dead leg, which is presumed. I assume that's what he's going to do, because that is the right thing to do, is to take a bone saw and cut it the fuck off. Uh, Saul calls Victor and tells him he's in charge for now. He says he's got it. Pete and Glenn have just arrived, and some colonists have found pipe bombs in Tardos' house. Victor says put them in the armory. Glenn and Pete are heard holding in the holding pen, just like uh, you hear Michael and uh, Kelly and Peggs in the first time we get to the colony. Pete can be heard saying in the background before the conversation really kicks in that my neck is still bleeding. Glenn says they were attacked by a number one as soon as they left. Glenn had the phone has the phone and is told to go to the shop and ask if it, again, he asks again, if it is safe. Pete asks if the prisoners are gone, and Victor says, it's all ours now. Victor notices Peter's bleeding and says he'll have to stay in the pen. Pete wants water. Victor says he'll have to trade for it. Pete says, ha, 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 funny. The sound of the gate opening is followed by the screech of a zombie. There's a zombie standing far off in the distance. The uh, Victor asks Pete what the one that attacked him was wearing. Pete says a brown shirt or something. Victor yells at him that it followed him home, hombre. Pete says to shoot it. Victor calls out the the warning to the rest of the tower guards. Victor looks through the binoculars and sees markings on his face, but they're too small to be numbers. Victor calls Saul and says there is a zombie with tattoos here. Saul asks if it's the guy in pinstripes. Victor says no, this one had a mark on his forehead and has long brown hair and a beard. I think he said brown, I can't remember now. The zombie calls as Saul says to shoot it. No one can hit it. The zombie has moved, and Victor yells at Pete that he brought it here. 
He says, you can handle it. Just shoot him. Victor says, no, he can't because he brought him here and he brought friends as a guttural growl of the behemoth rattles the colony. And we go to black on part two. So let's start with part one and then we'll move on to part two. Uh, what did you guys think of the first part with uh, the planning and the, the pin down, the knife and sword fight, and CJ getting stabbed? I thought that was the number one sexiest moment of We're Alive since the beginning. I, I just thought that the um, that the grunts and the weapons and, and the bleeding, it, it just, it's money. It's it's money. It's food. It's, yeah. What, what do you think, Captain it's, Pat? It's sustenance. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, uh, I, it was really well done. I just couldn't quite picture all the moves or who was doing what to whom. I could. I could, but I, in my imagination, there was a lot of soap suds and um, just soft music playing in the background. Now, but why, I mean, the knives why, and why, shit like that, that was all still there. Why soap suds? What's wrong with mud? Oh, you, have a problem you know, with there's mud, mud and then there's pudding, you know, which looks like mud, but it's edible, you know. Now, now we're, we should point out that, by the way, Deacon lives in Las Vegas, so this may be how he spends his weekends. Um, yes, yes. It's, it's, so. um, it's a well-known fact that in Las Vegas, um, in, just in order to live here, you actually have to com- compete in either a jello or a pudding match. I chose a pudding, by the way. Is it yearly or do you have to do it every month just to make sure you can – is it like you pay your rent and then you or your mortgage and your rent and you have to have a mud fight? Oh, it's nightly. Nightly. Oh it's, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they they teach the kids this in school, you know, with the with the mud rest or, or the pudding wrestling, and you know, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a very sick and depraved place. You you have to to be a very special kind of person to live in Las Vegas. Evidently, um, yeah. I mean, following the knife fight was really it's it's obviously very difficult because you don't you cannot see it. Um, you have two women grunting and slashing at each other. The only thing that I can distinctly remember from that fight, other than a knife hitting the ground, is that one really, really cool hit where you hear the knives and the sword hit, and there's a really nice reverberating twang of like the katana shaking after it got hit, because that's the only that's the only thing in there that would make that sound, because it, it's longer, it's gonna wa- it's gonna wave, so you know how much force Scratch put behind that when she hit the sword, and you hear the twang. It was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, you can't follow it. It's really hard. And I'm wondering if it was fully choreographed by Casey, like they had the moves down so the girls knew what was going on when they were recording, or whether or not uh, they just inserted grunts and they didn't really have a choreographed thing. They just did it with sound effects. That would be a question I would want to know from Casey. This would be a really good one if they had a video of some of the recording sessions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, or at least a couple of pictures that we could look at, you know, just, yeah. just to see the the moves, of course. Yeah, I mean, you you know that they, I know that they take videos of some stuff. I just don't know if this is one of those things that Casey choreographed or not. And I did mean to ask him, but then the power went out, so I never did. Because, um, you know, I had other things on my mind. Um, so, again, more examples of CJ being a wonderful planner. She saves countless lives by rerouting Bixby from going away from the tower, gives him a plan to get past the guy with the AK-47 that was sniping everyone off and taking pot shots. Um, You know, she's a great, great planner. And then the simplest fucking instruction, don't go in the hospital. Wait at the door. Wait for me. Do you know how to clear a room? Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do that? No, you don't. Don't do it. And she did it. And she got someone killed. She got herself... She she ultimately ends up losing her leg. 
um, and she breaks Saul's ribs. And you know what really kind of bothered me about that was um, the way that that um, Bixby and Gatekeeper were just kind of done away with. There was kind of that whole subplot thing, that tension going on with Michael, um, you know, several chapters ago. And then, you know, then they team up with him and then they just kill him off screen. It just kind of really invalidated that that whole part of the story, don't you think? I agree. But at the same time, there's only so and and this is something we're going to get to because I have I probably have some pro to eat. Um, but you know what I mean? There's only so many things that you can insert into the story. And while Bixby and Gatekeeper's animosity towards Michael, it was big to them. It it, it was over as soon as they left the colony. It, it really served no ultimate purpose. Even when they came, it's like, where's Michael? It's like, he's gone. We have no idea where he is. They're like, oh, okay. Well, that sucks. Oh, well. Like, they probably would have wanted to have something happen to Michael, but you know, it, that part was over, and they've now... I thought they may have had a bigger purpose to serve. I thought maybe they were going to be the ones that were in charge of uh, of the colony once it got all done, and maybe they were the ones that were going to reveal Sean's death to CJ. But uh, apparently not. Maybe that is now information that we are never going to give to CJ. She's never going to know that her boyfriend made it down here and got killed. Uh, do you think that's information she needs to have anymore? You know what? Cabbage Patch or Deegan, whoever... I think that uh, it's really kind of moot. I mean, it's it's a complication for this, and a potential twist to the story. But I mean, considering the the direction the overall story's taken, and the fact that we can expect the the Fort Orwin's storyline to merge with the Colony storyline here pretty shortly, uh, it just seems small potato compared to the rest of it. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. Now, like. The story has has taken a different tone, um, and we'll again we'll get to Bert in just a little bit. But yeah, um, there there are things that you know we as the audience know that apparently the characters just aren't going to find out. Like so far, that's been not the case with this whole show. I think I can't really think of anything that we know as audience that the characters haven't eventually figured out. That's why I kept saying things like you know well. CJ obviously has to find out. CJ has to find out. You know, now it's sort of up in the air because the only people that know about it are Victor and Saul, and what the fuck are they going to say about it? They they know what's going to happen if they tell CJ, although now she's going to have to hop after him with, like, vigor to catch him, but still. Um, so the bulk of what the conversation the 35-1 was, at least on the forum, on the Facebook page, a lot of it was, you know, uh, who got stabbed, uh, how badly were they injured, is Saul dead? Was Saul the one that got stabbed? Um, was Scratch the one that got stabbed? Which was, to me, patently silly, because that was a stab, it wasn't a slash. Not to mention, I understand it's a radio drama and we have a hard time understanding them sometimes, but, you know, it, it, it was very clearly Scratch that was talking at the end. So that's why there's not a lot of conversation to be had about 35-1, because it was a lot more straightforward aside from the cliffhanger. Um... So we're going to move on pretty much to posts from uh, part two, once I get this back up and running, because apparently everything in my life cannot work today. Um, Awkward Alice on the forum says, so is it too early to start blaming the zombie attacks on Greg Miller? Um, and, of course, Osiris uh, said, it's never too early to blame Greg for anything. So let's talk about Greg, not Greg Miller, let's talk about Pete. 
Um, we know he's got uh, scratch. I think he said he's got scratches on his arm. He's bleeding from his neck still uh, from that zombie attack. Um, do you think that he's lying? Was he scratched by the zombie? Was it actually glass? Uh, do you think that's going to matter? Do you think he's a turner, a slow turner? Uh, Cabbage Patch, what do you think? I don't think so. I think that's a little bit of misdirection. I, but, uh, Pete may have a reason to lie about it, but Glenn doesn't really. Well, in the chaos, do you think that Glenn would have maybe even noticed if he got scratched? You think? Uh, well, I, I can't believe that Glenn would miss anything that might put him in danger. That's very true. That's very, very true. Uh, Deacon, do you think that uh, it's a scratch? Do you think it's a, a very subtle bite? Or do you think it's glass? You know, Casey's actually steered us in this direction a couple of times before where you think that somebody's going to turn and then they end up not turning. And, you know, they kind of already did this whole, you know, uh, turner in the midst thing with Fort Irwin. It would be uh, it would seem a little strange for them to repeat it so quickly. But anything is a possibility because in order to recombine the stories, they need to get out of the colony or Fort, Fort Irwin needs to get out of Fort Irwin. But one or the other has to happen. Well, the only thing that needs to happen at this point to combine the two is to have Glenn fix that phone. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of getting them back together, Irwin has to come to L.A. But L.A. is where everything is. It's where the men in the pinstripe suit is, where the behemoths yeah. are, it's where Randy is. Every, every, whoever survives for Irwin is going to have to come back to L.A., I think, because that's where True. the story started. Yeah, we have to in, that, in, in that case, um, following that line of thought, then I'm going to say that, that he's not going to turn. Because, um, you know, they, they did the call right at uh, at the end of the Fort Irwin por portion of the story, you know, where they got the call on the cell phone. That's got to be those guys then. So then they got to be able to, to bring those guys from Fort Irwin to the colony or, you know, to Turnberry Towers or whatever. But I think that the, the um, CJ's old tower is probably going to be a done deal just because she's going to be hop along in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, the only reason I would like to see uh, Pete as a turner, as a slow turner, is it might provide us a little bit more information as to how, because he, they, we know they were attacked by a, uh, an inkling, a little one, advanced little one, whatever you want to call them. Um, and so if we get information about the attack, then maybe we get more information about how the slow turners happened and what actually happened at Irwin. Now we'll have up-close evidence of it because we have someone in the midst of it. We have Victor standing right next to him when he might potentially turn. So... And and if he's a slow turner, it kind of provides a plot device if they can bring Tanya to the colony because um, there's that whole speculation that um, she sort of is stumbling across a cure. You know, there's um, there was a deal with Saul and uh, the meds that he was taking and then potentially herself as well. You know, people have speculated that it's like a genetic thing. Some people have speculated it's been like the combination of drugs that they, that they were taking. So I don't know. Maybe he's going to be a slow turner. She's going to come on over, give him give him some dope or whatever, and then you know that's going to be the cure. Could be. Um, yeah, yeah, that could be. And maybe he's uses the device to find the cure. Yeah. Because we've already used. Apparently, we've already used it on Saul. We've already used it on Tanya. Who else do we know has been bitten? No, no one right now. That's it. Halamandias, uh, welcome back to the forum. Uh, so we've destroyed one stronghold, and the two other two and two are about to be under siege uh, hard. And in all the season finales, it seems that we, the goodish, never win. We recover somewhat for the following season, but this one is not going to be pretty. And where the hell is my Kelly? She better be okay. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we are leading up to the season finale. We are one chapter part away from the big, gigantic. Uh, 
We're Alive party, which we'll have more information on hopefully next week. Um, but the idea right now is that we're going to stream uh, Chapter 36, like we did for the end for the end of Season 2, Chapter 24. Um, but yeah, so we have these two storylines. Everyone's about to be attacked by zombies. Um you know how how do you think we how do you think that humanity gets out of this one? Does Erwin end up nuking itself? Does the colony survive? Does everyone die there? You know, if you were to take a guess and stab in the dark as to what the season finale is, you know, with having not nearly enough information and not nearly enough story to really put it together yet, uh, how do you think the cliffhanger for the end of the season is? Well, uh, I'm looking forward to a hell of a fight there at Fort Erwin. I mean, we finally we finally get to see zombies versus tanks. Oh yeah. That's going to be awesome. I can't wait to just hear the squishing. It's just, just like two Abrams tanks just rolling right over. That'd be great. Now, for me, this could go in a lot of different directions because, you know, as uh, and I've watched just, just dozens and dozens of zombie movies, almost none of them have happy endings. You know, if um, right. season four is, is going to be at least that's what I've heard on the forums. I don't know if it's true, you know, about season four being being the last, you know, yep. this could um this could go one of two ways. It could go the ultra dark way in which Fort Irwin is destroyed. The colony is destroyed. Everybody's just kind of, you know, rolling around in their tanks and shit. And like, oh, wow. Yeah, we're all fucked. Here's the cure. But how do we get it out type thing? I actually would like to see an outright victory, not a Pyrrhic victory, not um, kind of t- cut wins and losses. I want to see Fort Irwin kick all kinds of fucking ass and then come on over to the colony beat the crap out of a big I want to hear the sound effect of a behemoth getting shot by a tank huh? I would like that sound too however I've already put my hat on what I think my final theory is which is I think that Ink's the one reading all the journals so oh that's interesting so that, that's my I f- didn't read that that is really interesting I put it out on the forum once. I've said it on. I said it on the podcast a couple times where I think that, and in they're they're basically because obviously someone is reading the story, someone is telling the story. They've either they've amassed all the journals in one location. Someone's got to be telling the story for us to hear it because the only way we know it is through journal entries or through video entries or through audio entries. Um, someone's got to be reading it. Fuck, why not ink? Because you know what, that hasn't been done before because zombies have never been smart enough to read before. So that's my. Yeah. Th- yeah, he had problems with the numbers on the door. Uh, he did door have pad. problems with the number on the door pad, but that's more of a motor skill than it is a cognitive problem. If he can't get his finger to tap, tap, tap the button, okay, that's fine. But if he can, he's able to understand what he's reading. And like plus, he, he, there's also the possibility that Ink could get smarter or more capable. You know, we've already seen this with some of the other uh, mutated zombies, like the little ones turning into big ones type deal. So you know that. Uh, that uh, rapid evolution, um, that um, genetic change on a macro level like that, you know, we've already seen in the storyline. So why not a zombie getting smarter and smarter and smarter? I, I see no reason right now. I know that they're all evolving in some way, shape, or form. Uh, sort, I, I guess, sort of. We we don't really have any strong evidence other than the fact that we keep seeing stronger and smarter plans from zombies, mm-hmm. and they're able to do things that we don't think they should be able to do, like follow orders, uh, stuff like that. Uh, Merlin1274 from the forum will be interesting to find out what Victor was told slash shown uh, what was found at Tardos' house which uh, I think that uh, there was a post on the forum as to what it was and it was like you know strange thing was this actually yours 
Deacon, did you post this? The the uh, the questionnaire as to what they might have found. Or am I um, crazy? no, that wasn't me. Okay, I thought it might have been you. No, oh, okay, that was me. okay. I thought it was you because there was things about like porn and dildos and stuff. Um, <laughs> so oh, so you just assumed it was me? Gee, thanks. Hey, man, we've been talking for like twenty-five minutes. When we brought up mud wrestling, we brought up um, your your wife <laughs> and scratch, and you, I, it fits within the realm of the possibility it could have been you. Um, but yeah, it I I'm pretty positive, and Cabbage Patch, you're basically become the wiki uh, de facto leader. Uh, and, and, and you made the call, and you think it's a pipe bomb. I think, uh, well, we've had several references to the Maulers using pipe bombs. Right. I mean, even in part one of this chapter, they were talking about them possibly having them. So Tardis was the bomb guy. Yep, and it sounds like the, 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 you know, they shook them, and you get a little clink together. It sounded like a it sounded like a nice little schedule for you pipe to me. Because um, I it's, have dealt way too much with pipes in my life. Um, yay theater. Uh, <laughs> Graves uh, from the forum, who's a new member, welcome. Uh, I'll admit I didn't see uh, Gatekeeper and Bixby being the only real deaths, and to be honest, feels like a cop-out to me to have them taken away. We actually just talked about this. Having taken away a piece of human conflict in the aftermath of that battle, I guess the fact that the zombies are about to roll up uh, makes up for that, but still. I'm guessing the bearded zombie is Randy, uh, the Randy guy we've heard about a couple times before, really hoping we hear the guy's story, but that probably won't happen uh, this season, if at all. Um, so, yes. Um, the zombie at the end, the one that was standing at a distance. Um, someone posted it and said it looked like Macho Man Randy Savage, which was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making my pro wrestling heart happy. Um, so, do you, guys, do you guys agree that that is Randy? Um... You know what? I think it's it's got to be at this point the the whole Randy thing kind of begs for an explanation. So I'm going to say that that it's going to be Randy. And my my ongoing thing is 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 that I believe that Randy and uh, Ink are, are like opposing forces to each other because um, yeah. Randy seems to to be hanging out with the behemoths and stuff, and Ink seems to be hanging out with the little ones and the regulars. Okay, I'll get back to that in a second. Okay, I was about to agree. Randy, not Randy. Someone else. I like to think it's Randy. I mean, why introduce a character and put, surround him with so much mystery if we're not going to see him? Anymore? Right. Um, and again, the only description that we were given uh, from Michael was pretty much uh, long hair, beard, um, and that his name was Randy, and that we know Randy is the guy that he met before at some given point in time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to assume Randy. Now, the marking on his head, that's the most interesting thing because in the grand tradition of we're alive, uh, we can't see it, but the characters do, and they don't do a really good job describing what the hell they're seeing. Um, so we don't know exactly what that mark is. Is it a scar? Is it, uh, you know, did did Ink bless him with his noodly appendage? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's that would be the question as to what the hell that mark is. Because if that mark is something from Ink, then it's not necessarily opposing forces. Uh, they're working together, potentially. And as for the behemoths, and the point I wanted to bring up uh, just a little bit earlier, uh, Ink had behemoths at the at the arena too. So he has uh. been he's also been known to have them in his company, which again throws in a really stark contrast that Skittles is wrong. Um, and we all believe that Skittles is, tells the truth. He's the one that gave us so much information about the zombies because he's been living amongst them. And he said the the regular ones don't go near the behemoths. So obviously, Randy and Ink are not regular ones. Because they go by them and they make them do stuff. Right. 
It wasn't there a behemoth at the waterworks when when we yes. where they lost Mike. Yes, that is the first time we saw a behemoth. We never identified it as such. We just know what they sounded like because we heard the conk, chunk, 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 and that deep guttural growl that they have. Um, and they just say, "Oh my God, it's so big!" Ah, da, da, and they run away. And Michael seemingly died. Um, so yeah, we we that's the first time we learned. And so Randy was around Behemoth when he died, in theory. So maybe he maybe he's got a super special one, the one that killed him that uh, he he likes to keep around him. Uh, Fragos is also a new member of the forum. Welcome. Given the two storylines seem to be converging, it almost seems like a coordinated attack on both areas. A planned and coordinated attack. Um, do you buy into that theory? Uh, Irwin and Colony coordinated? Or just happenstance that these two storylines conveniently are having two zombie attacks around the same time? I'm going to say that it, it it sounds to me a, a lot like a coincidence. I mean, the um, the the marked zombie, um, the, the numbered zombie had uh, made it to Boulder in the first place just by hanging out on a helicopter. Right. So that part, I mean, unless you want to say that uh, Zombie Griggs is somehow in tune with some, like, hive collective mind, and they're trying to, but again, uh, I think it's a conv- I think it's a storytelling. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I had a different idea on that. I think I, I put it on the forum. That- okay. Uh, it, that I mean, I I was I just thought it was too much of a coincidence having a slow turner in that convoy coming back from Boulder. Right. So one of my thoughts was maybe, you know, when the helicopter was seen, that uh, that the little ones went off in different directions trying to follow it, and maybe one of them just happened to run across the return convoy from Boulder, and and it was a completely different little one that infected them. Okay. So wait. Um... You're saying there was a little one that was hiding in the convoy, or I'm, I'm, not, I'm, no, not, I was, I'm not following. I was thinking that you know, if one of them, if if one of the crew was taken away by in a I mean, on a helicopter headed east, uh-huh. that maybe the others would have headed off in that general direction looking for them. And it's two weeks later, uh, by foot they might have made it as far as Barstow area. Hmm. Oh, okay. I think I see what you're saying. So you're saying that there may have been, but I thought they accounted all uh, all for the bodies outside of Boulder. Did they, or am I mistaken, or am I not understanding? Well, that's the thing. If this one, if what if the little one that infected that convoy coming from Boulder uh, actually was a, a different little one that had come out from LA? Okay, I, th- I think I'm getting what you're saying. I'm not. Yeah, I, I, maybe I'm not getting what you're saying because there's no yeah. helicopters that can't. Just a thought. I'm, no, I'm trying to figure it out because you're always so damn smart, um, and you're being smarter than me right now, which. That's so simple. I'm such an idiot. So you're saying that, like, when a, heli- a helicopter after after Zombie Griggs makes it to Boulder, a helicopter leaves, and one of the little ones leaves with him, or leaves on foot. After- oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying that uh, when the uh, Chinook picks up uh, when picks up the uh, what was it number two yeah. in uh, in L.A. and takes off and just flies off to the, into the sunset. But, uh, oh. Okay, so you're, saying this, you're saying one came case, from... Uh, that, okay. uh, that maybe the others took off trying to follow the helicopter and just kept going. I get you. Okay, and so you're saying little ones from L.A., not from Boulder. Okay, I'm sorry. I mean, the alternative is that you've got either a slow turner or a very patient one that 
springs it's attacked, what, 45 miles from its objective? Yeah. Um, okay, no, that makes perfect sense now. Sorry, I, I wasn't picking up what you're putting down, but it makes that makes perfect sense. I don't know that I think that that is the case, but we'll see. We shall see. Only Casey knows. Uh, Cupcake Zombie. Remember that Bixby died with a VN knife? Which sounds just like the handiwork of one Muller we all know and love to hate. Except for Deacon and Osiris. Yes. And a few other people. Um, it may not have taken much to get him in, to spill all he knew, or even Gatekeeper might have thought uh, he would get away with that after telling his secrets, only to be shot as he walked away. And that's the idea that um, Gatekeeper and Bixby gave up information before they were killed. So Scratch knows that Michael's at Irwin, and she has a place to go. Um, so do you think that she knows that information, or do you think she just escaped? Huh. You know what? Um, I actually, because I, I think that they're coming from Irwin to the colony, uh, then again, you know what? You actually bring up a, an interesting point. I never even thought of that. Yeah, if she knows where, where Irwin is, and that's entirely a possibility at this point, she might bring her fine ass over to Irwin. She can try. I don't think she's going to make it because that's a lot of cover. That's a lot of area to cover, and not many roads that can do it. And you know, obviously, uh, Scratch cannot fly, so she can't get there the simple way, which is flying there like everyone else has been able to accomplish so far. Um, but I don't know that she knows where they are. If she is escaping, and I mean, she stuck Bixby in the throat with a knife. That doesn't seem like someone that stopped long enough to try and torture information out of him. It was like, oh, you're in my way. chunk, You're dead. Now you're out of my way. I can leave. Um, so do you think she got any information out of them before they left? Oh, no. She didn't get any information out of them. I have a feeling that, that they're going to reveal that you know, she saw the Fort Irwin patch or something like that. Remember her connection with Angel through that whole family thing. She might know a little bit about uh, some of that military stuff. We also don't know a whole lot about her background in general, she's um, supposed to be like 30, 31 years old or something like that. Yeah, something and, like that. And um, so she might have even been from the military. So she might have seen those bodies. She might have seen some debris. She might There might have been another satellite radio that maybe she nabbed. You know, you never know what they're going to use as a plot device later on. So she might actually know where, where that's at. She was just kind of biding her time before checking out Fort Irwin. Now that she's lost the mall, she's lost the colony, she kind of has no, nowhere else to go. I could see her hopping in a vehicle and uh, heading down to uh, Fort Irwin and just causing all kinds of shit down there. Yeah, I, I don't know about about that, but it would be interesting to see her try. Yeah, the, the, the trying would definitely be interesting simply because we know the roads are impassable. We know that they, they took the Mullers a while to get the roads clear enough that they could use the tanker bombs at the arena. Uh, I don't, you know, the, the roads are clogged. The only way in and out of L.A. right now is via, via flying, is my understanding at least of the road situation. Um, there was another thought that I had had about it and I posted it and some other people posted it as well. Um, and I think I grabbed, uh, verse was the other one that I took uh, off the forum saying this. Um, I see this as an end of the Maulers proper. I really believe that scratch has become, uh, has to become a fighter at this point to stay in the story. And that part I'm not as clear as, as keen on, but, uh, I don't see her as a one woman army gathering the few Maulers that are left. I am betting she turns into a smart one and fights with the one with the markings for control due to the sheer will and her focus. Maybe works hand in hand. I just don't see how she alone can really stay a part of the story. Otherwise, her time is not yet done, which seems actually kind of a little contradictory. Um, 
my point was that um you know scratch and the maulers are basically done you know it's like the big bad monster they're horrible and awful and mean and they've lost the maul they've lost their numbers they've lost their power they have nothing left except for scratch and her personal vendetta against pegs which is going to wear thin on people really really quick um i really don't think that uh man the next time that we see the maulers they're not what was it i'm trying to think you know like uh in like video games where you have like this big, scary, awesome boss in, like, the first chapter, and they're so hard to beat. And then later on, you get, like, you know, like Mega Man, where you go back and you replay all the bosses, and you're like, this is bullshit. For chink, have a metal blade in your head, and you're done. You know, like, you get back, you're much more experienced, you kill that boss nice and quick. I kind of feel like that might be the place that the Maulers are going to. See, and, and I disagree. I think that, that Scratch has a stronger purpose aside from that. You know, the whole thing with the families that, that just kind of got dropped, like, out of nowhere, you know, there's um her and her boss and Angel and, you know, there's all, like, this secret society thing. I don't think that, that that's just going to get dropped. Um, If so, it invalidates so much of the story that... It just it, it would be bad storytelling. What I think is going to happen is I think that um, some of the survivors from Fort Irwin, um, an example, Michael is um, going to head head down to the colony. Meanwhile, Pegs, at least Pegs, and possibly Pegs and Kelly are going to to, to make it over to Fort Irwin, and they're going to have their little showdown. I think that they're going to pick up Scratch as just another survivor because at Fort Irwin they don't know who Scratch is. You know, I I, I feel like. She's got to play an important role. I think that she's going to kill Pegs. See, and I'm thinking that uh, I, I, Scratch can't go away. Scratch is too important uh, a character to to die or disappear or or fall off the uh, fall off the face of the earth. But um, I don't know. I think that she's got some I mean, that her next role in this is going to be somewhere near the end. I mean, I think I'd written previously that in that final episode that. The showdown, it's going to start with a showdown between the survivors from the tower and Scratch and, and end with whichever survivors are right, left. And I agree. She's, her time is not done. She still has to come back. She still has much to do. In terms of the families, though, I think the family plot device, I think that can be put to bed personally because the reason we have the family device is so that we know that she has a justification, air quotes, in her mind as to why she has to kill Pegs, because she's avenging John's death, uh, Latch's death, John. Um, and it just happened to be used to set this whole war in motion at the colony. You know, so it served its purpose twice. It, gives, it gave Scratch her overarching purpose to kill Pegs. It gave the reason that the, the, the coup started at the colony, where she killed Darai because he was going to kill her for killing a member of the family. Um, you know, that it's been used twice. I don't know that it needs to have its uh, third go around. Yeah, but at the same time, um, when she was explaining about the ring to, to Lizzie, I thought that that was a little odd. It was almost like Casey reminding us, yeah, okay, the family is still a thing. That's still a thing. We're going to bring that back at some point. Here's a little bit more mystery to tide you over. I suppose I can I can see definitely where you're coming from. If it gets used again, I'm not going to be surprised. Uh, I just think that it was used that purpose of using the ring in the background or whatever was used to to strengthen and, and deepen her character, and then it was used as the plot device to to propel the story forward at the colony. So it, to me, it could be done. I wouldn't be surprised if it was done at this point because. You know, if we're using, if we're if we're taking Cabbage Patch's idea and that she's brought back up in the last chapter and she's 
around only then. You know, where does the family come into that? You know, we know what her purpose is. We know what she wants to do. She wants to kill Pegs. There's no more depth to it that we need. We know what she wants to do. We just don't know how she's going to accomplish it. Right now, I doubt that she actually understands how she's going to do it either. I think that the the families they've got to play. Um, and you know what? I'm I'm really really overreaching when when I theorize this, but um, I kind of think that the families and that whole deal has something to do with the outbreak. It just it just kind of keeps it keeps bugging me. I'm thinking secret societies and you know, weird special rings and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I'm really overreaching there because there's absolutely no evidence supporting that theory. Yeah, I think that's, personally, I think it's an overreach simply because, man, that would require a lot of coordination throughout the world. I mean, it seems as though the cracks at ground zero are what's allowing whatever has happened to people to happen. So I don't, I'm not sure that that's a part of it. Um, though we did just mention Angel and whatever, um, Witch Doctor says, uh, Angel hypothesized about zombie clicks after they were tagged, after they tagged the zombies with trackers. Some went to different locations than others. Others, uh, one seemed to not be able to make up its mind as to where it wanted to go at first. So, this is the idea that, uh, Randy has his own tribe with Behemoths and Ink has his own tribe with Behemoths as well. Um, so actually we pretty much already covered that post as well. You know, in the story, it was... One of the things you didn't mention in the recap that I thought was very interesting in, in part two was Victor's comment that there have been vi- fighters around the gate, but they all disappeared. Almost as if they've been recalled or, or called away from the area. Sure, by right. Uh, yeah. You know, I think when I heard that and the way that I interpreted it was they took care of them, so they just got rid of them. Uh, I didn't take it that they disappeared. Although, uh, the way you mentioning it now, actually, that makes more sense that they actually were called back or disappeared or went away or whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, so maybe Brandy has control of them, like Ink has control of the mob of zombies in Chapter 12 and Chapter 13. Maybe that is that. Who and knows? see, you know, the, the reason why I came up with the whole idea about um, them being oppos- opposing forces to each other is there's just no reason to have another super smart zombie like boss zombie like Randy unless he serves some other purpose. I mean, if he's on the same level as Ink or right around there, I mean, why not just have Ink out there instead of Randy? I think that they're kind of like Biggie Smalls and Tupac. Uh, they're both going to get shot. That sucks. Um... I- I, I, I guess I don't know. I'm the, the the zombie general portion of the show hurts my head when I think about it. It really does. There's so many different ways it can go. Uh, so I'm not sure which way Casey plans on going on it. So yeah, is um there anything else from these two chapter parts you guys wanted to bring up? Because I have run out of posts. Oh, and we were, um, we've been talking for want, about an hour. Want to give a a shout out to Scratch? What's up? And she just told you, you better start running. Um, <laughs> just get, get on your high horse. Run. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we one of the recent, uh, very active posts on the forum has been about whether CJ was going to take over the colony. And I think if she survives losing her leg, that's probably where she's headed. I, I would agree. And I think that the, the, the sheer evidence of the fact that she's going to survive... I, you know, amputation sucks, but, you know, if they can, if Civil War veterans survived amputation with primitive medicine and, you know, no sterilization, 
Saul, who has a mind for sterilization and knows that, you know, there's little microbes that can kill you, uh, I think that she's going to be okay. I think she's going to be pissed, but I think she's going to be okay. I think that, um, and I'm actually glad that you that you mentioned uh, CJ because I think that she's almost become a non-issue. I mean, you can um, she's lost a considerable amount of blood. Um, you can chop off her leg, but the you know they they actually kind of dealt with this on a recent episode of, of Walking Dead, and I kind of hate bringing up that show on another zombie show. Spoilers, but, you know, just that, in case um, they can't. They can't burn off the uh, the the bleeding of the the artery because she would probably go into shock. She would probably die from there. I think that she's going to get an infection and slowly die. Uh, she, I mean that could very well be the case. I don't know that that is necessarily the case because I, I I just don't know. I have no idea where this goes. I know that Saul is not looking forward to doing it. I think that the appearance of Randy could make him a little more sloppy in his work. Because he's got to get somewhere else, um, but at the same time, I think I think that she comes out of this oh as okay as you can without a leg, because you know. See, I I just I don't even know how they would uh, possibly even amputate a leg without some sort of uh, like a bone saw or you know I mean I hate to be corny and say a chainsaw, but you know I mean um, the the femur itself is like as strong as concrete. That's not an easy task to cut through. Right, but he's in the hospital. They had everything that they needed to do autopsies on a zombie there, so they should, in theory, have a bone saw, too. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because if they were, I mean, if they were at the tower, yes, no, amputation is not much of an option. Uh, you are, but you're going to die. Uh, they're in a hospital. But wait a, wait a but, minute. Datu could do anything with his tools. Well, but Datu <laughs> isn't there. And until Datu builds a transporter to get him to the colony and back from Irwin, he can't do it. Although if he can't... Datu can build her a new leg. That's true. Datu would, Datu would revive her old leg. It would be chopped off. He'd revive it. It would like march back over to her and like attach itself back. Because that's how Datu is. Um, so anything else from this chapter? Or I think we're... Or chapter parts, rather. We're not done with the chapter yet. we still got one part to go, which still blows my mind because we've had 50 minutes of chapter already. Well... Can I get a uh, can I get get a prediction in at least? Oh, predict away. All right, um, and you know, speaking about Datsu, you know, I think that he's going to fix that helicopter again. Yep. And um, that's what they're going to use to fly out to the colony in the first place. And um, you know, they're going to bring a bunch of troops. I think that 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 last um, chapter is going to just be like, you know, thirty sixty minutes of just ass whooping. You know, because. If it's the the type of helicopter, and I know very very little about helicopters, and somebody's sure to correct me on this, isn't that the kind of helicopter that they actually bring, like, you know, tanks and shit like that? Isn't it like how they transport tanks or cars or something? That is, yeah, not not quite. I mean, they could carry like a an armored Humvee or something like that. But okay. nah, there's not. No helicopters could transport a ta any tanks that we use. No, that, that would have to be... Can, you can do that on a transport, the transport planes, though, correct? Yeah, some. No, um, obviously. You know, the Russians used to have extremely large helicopters they could transport ta small tanks around on, but we've never had anything like that. Ah. How dare we get outdone by the Russians? What the hell? Bastards. Right? The fuck? We are the greatest nation in the world, damn it! And fuck yeah! And if there's a Russian America, America, right? fuck yeah! Um, so if there's a Russian listener, uh, I didn't mean to insult your country. Um, so a couple news and notes from around the We're Alive universe. 
Um, Tammy Klein, for those of you who uh, love and adore Kelly, which uh, we just know that Helen Mandis, I believe it was, uh, said that he did. Uh, she was cast in a role in um, Phantasmagoria, which was, I'm pretty sure it's the Marilyn Manson version of this. It's like a bunch of shorts, I think. Either way, uh, congratulations to Tammy. Uh, good job, and we're very happy for you for your outer, uh, outside of We're Alive projects. Um, I think that was pretty much the only news and note from that. Uh, we'll have hopefully some more information on the season three finale next week, because I hope I will have a podcast next week, because hopefully there won't be another fucking storm to take out my fucking power next week. <laughs> um, news and notes from around the forum. I don't think we mentioned this. Hey, Deacon. Um, yeah. You uh, you won a little contest, I believe. Yes, we, anou- we announced it on the forum. We were supposed to announce it on the podcast, so you're supposed to hear CJ uh, tell you that you won. Um, but since that didn't happen... Uh, so, yes, congratulations to Deacon. That's one of the reasons we ended up bringing you on the podcast, is because you won said uh, contest. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, if you want to see his post uh, and you want to see what it looked like, uh, it's really amazing. Uh, go to zombiepodcast.com slash forum, and in the top news section, there is still the contest link up there. You can check it out. And uh, we posted his post in the winner section, so you can check that out. Um... I think that's it. So I think it's time for me to start pimping shit. Nice. Yeah. Time to pimp Pimping shit. Pimping ain't easy. It ain't easy. You got to keep your pimp hands strong. Um, yes. As always, you can follow me at Nick Voodoo, N-I-K-V-O-O-D-O-O. You can follow the absent Brit, uh, Brombucker at Brit5091. Uh, hopefully she will be around for the season finale. If not, um, you do have to deal with me for just a little bit longer on my own with guest hosts. And then hopefully she will be around for next season. Um, she's got way, she's got way, way much going on. Um, and she does appreciate all, all your support. She does miss you. She wants to come back. She wants to be here. She just can't find the time right now. So she does apologize for that. Follow bees at Beesball on Twitter. Follow we're alive at we're alive. Follow this show at WND podcast. Uh, you can email us if you want to be a guest host. It's we're not dead podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Find we're alive on Facebook. That's all my pimping stuff. Uh, Cabbage Patch, are you on the world of Twitters? Or are you? Oh, oh, I'm all over the place. But the best, uh, the best place to reach me is through the forum, uh, Cabbage Patch, on the We're Alive forum. And he is one of the wonderful, wonderful dudes wearing green on there. So he's one of the leaders of the forum. So if you have questions, um, feel free to contact anyone that is a moderator or an admin. The guys wearing green and. Right on the forum, we're the ones that can help you out if you have questions or comments, concerns, major psychotic hatreds. Those come up more often than you'll ever know. Um, Deacon, yes. you were also on the forum, which is Deacon underscore Tyler, correct? Yes, sir. And anywhere on the Twitterverse or Facebook or Tampa best, website? Uh, best places is uh, my website, fsequence.com. Uh, what was that again? Uh, fsequence.com, short for Fibonacci Sequence. Nice. You yes. nerd. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Fibonacci sequence. I haven't thought about that since college. Uh, awesome. Um, all right. I think that about uh, covers it. Um, so, for Cabbage Patch and for Deacon, uh, for Bees, if you have interjected yourself, again, thank you very much. This is a long one, so I appreciate it. Um, 
yeah, uh, enjoy next chapter part, guys. It's going to be fucking awesome. Casey said it was going to be rolling from the point that he interviewed from the 100th episode to the end of the season. He hasn't lied. It's been rolling, and it's going strong. Uh, enjoy next week's episode, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Absolutely. Peace out. Night. Bye. Bye.